I'll be reading uh, from Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 10 through verse 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. May the Lord bless the hearing, believing, and obeying of his holy word. Amen. Amen. Who knows the future? The unstoppable arrival of the new year uh, forces men and women to think. Some don't think much. They might be thinking very simplistically about the new year, or they might be thinking backwards about the old year, either with regret or with satisfaction. But it's wonderful, as God has appointed seasons and times, that he uses the unstoppable march of time to bring us to a place of thought and consideration. And I would encourage you to look into the future. And perhaps as you look into the future, what are you going to do with this new year? You are wondering what it might hold. And perhaps you're fearful. Perhaps you're hopeful. Things can't get as worse as they have been. Can they? Or they must be getting better, surely. Perhaps to understand what might be ahead, you turn to sources. Whether you're trying to see what the markets will do, will there be a recession, will the housing market improve or not, we search for information, we turn to experts. I was pretty shocked to read this quote on the internet, uh, internet site Vox, V-O-X, there was a writer named Dylan Matthews, and he wrote last year something about the changing of the years and predicting the future. He said, predicting the future is a skill at which some people are dramatically better than at others. Practicing is one of the best ways to improve at it. Did someone seriously write this? The more I predict the future, the better I'll get at it. He goes on to say, part of practicing it is holding ourselves accountable for when we get it wrong, as well as when we get it right. Oh boy, we should pray for Dylan. Um, That pursuit will not bear much fruit. Just practicing predicting the future. Yes, we we, we can see something of what the economy might do. We can see health or age and we can kind of estimate. We need to be good stewards as we look ahead. But my friends, there's only one who truly knows the future. And that's going to be the thrust of today's special sermon. The Lord knows the future. The God who made us. The God who is meeting with us even this morning. 
This morning I'll have several quotes from a fellow named W.G.T. Shedd, and he spells Shedd with two D's at the end. I should tell you who he is, because so, you're going to hear his name, or I'll just say W.G.T. Shedd, or the whole name, he goes by his initials, his whole name is uh, uh, William Greenock Thayer Shedd, that's a mouthful. He was born in 1820 in New England, and at age 11 he moved to Lake Champlain, New York, and grew up here went to school at the University of Vermont and studied philosophy and literature. In 1839, he began to teach in New York City. And uh, as he grew in his convictions in theology, he would later become a professor and an author uh, and one of the great theologians America produced through the season of the Civil War and uh, those incredibly changing times for our country. Yet guided by God's word, he conducted his ministry. He wrote uh, a series of sermons to the natural man, that's the unconverted man. And then in 1884, he wrote a series of sermons to the spiritual man. And because of the internet, these are all available to you free. You can get PDFs of these sermons. The one I've been studying and enjoying this week on James chapter 4 is the duty of reference to the divine will. James 4 says we should only do what God says uh, is will. So, as people think about the future, my first quote from W.G.T. Shedd is this. Many men live as if if there were no presiding mind in the universe, as if all actions of mankind and all events of the earth were but the chance movements of an endless series controlled by no overruling power. That's the way most people view the future in the world. He continues, men are constantly forming new plans, beginning new enterprises, and entering upon new and uncertain experiments. Hence, it behooves them, 1884, it behooves them to reverently acknowledge their relation to the Almighty Being who inhabits eternity, their maker, their sovereign ruler, their judge, and their God. When you look to the future and you can't see much, you should look to the Lord your God, who holds the future. But men and women in our rebellion don't want to look in God's direction. If you're a believer, that's where we ought to look and do look and will look. This morning, let me begin first with some questions about the future, and we'll start in Jeremiah 29 and first look at the context there, because that wonderful verse, uh, when we get to it, I know the plans I have for you, the, the, the wonderful promise of that verse comes in a context. We don't want to pull it out of its context, but let's see where it is. What's going on in Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah 29? Well, the very first verse tells us what's going on. Jeremiah 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, Jeremiah the prophet is sending a letter, and it's not, hi, how are you? It's from the Lord. The prophet writes on behalf of Jehovah. 
to those he has sent out of the promised land into captivity, part of a punishment for not listening and not living as they should, a corrective, the exile, he will bring them back. But they're there. And chapter 29 is a letter to correct a few things while they're there and to give them more of a grip on their future and their hope. That's the context. So let's not miss the very first part is that they're living in Babylon. And when we look at the future and we see our broken world, we might ask, how are we going to live here? Can we live with this breaking world, this decaying culture, much longer? Do we want to step into this future when it looks grim? There's still a war over there. There's still strife over there. That country has a lot of missiles and they're kind of angry with us. This country has inflation. It has political strife. Do we really want to live here? Do we want to step into the future? My friends, as God led his people, indeed sent his people into Babylon, the Lord has led us here. We are where we are because God is still on the throne. Our culture is reaping what it has sown and we still live, as it were, in this modern Babylon. And that's important. And while we're here... This letter that Jeremiah sends from the Lord to his people gives them some specific instructions. In the middle of verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem and Babylon. And then this in verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give them to your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Wow, these verses four through seven kind of say, You're in Babylon, make the most of it. Don't just wait by the border for the promised land to reopen. Don't just huddle up as refugees, but disseminate into this place. And to use New Testament terms, disseminate as salt and light. Put down roots, have your families. Don't just live pining away for somewhere else. This is where you are. That's the context of what we're talking about this morning. My friends, the Lord knows all about the U.S. of A. The Lord knows all about our economy. He knows all about cultural Marxism. He knows about political issues. He knows about unresolved things and foreign threats. The Lord knows all these things. And he has a people right here in the state of New York. Well, some are from New Hampshire and Vermont. Can we live here? Well, this is the here where the Lord has us. And at least that's our starting point. We can pray, come Lord, come quickly. And we can pray for things to change in our country. And when he says uh, explicitly here, seek the welfare of the city, we can pray for our neighbors and our land. We don't pray that God would bless them in their rebellion and sin. 
We don't pray that our country gets to do anything it wants. But we do pray for peace. We pray for justice. We pray for an ability to spread the gospel and to serve Christ freely. We better pray to preserve our religious liberties here. But here we are. Another question we need to ask as we look about the future is to whom do you listen? To whom do you listen? The context of Isaiah 29, again, before we get to that wonderful verse of promise, the Lord has a corrective for those of us living in this secular Babylon. In verses 8 and 9, he's talking about who we're listening to. And that's, we're in the middle of Jeremiah. And why does the Lord send a letter specifically at this juncture of the exile? Because false prophets were among God's people in the exile. Let me even just give you a hint. Some of the false prophets were saying, you're only going to be here for a couple years at the most. They have prognosticated. They probably talked to Dylan from the Vox magazine. They're predicting the future. And it's only going to be a little while. It's not as bad. God's really not going to do what he said. And so there's some red flags with those false prophets. So the Lord addresses them here. Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He's dropping his credentials, so pay attention. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Historically in Babylon, there were some who were undermining what God had clearly said. And the very fact that they're called prophets, they're false prophets. The very fact that people were listening to diviners, that was a sin all in of itself. To have sorcery and, and prognosticators using dark arts, totally off limits. But God's people were desperate, and in their desperation, they were doing sinful things to seek knowledge about the future and what to do. So the Lord says, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. If you remember, if you've read Jeremiah, you know that this is not a new topic. Back in Jeremiah chapter 6, for instance, the Lord was critiquing these false prophets. You may recognize this verse. The Lord said, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's what a lot of the false prophets will tell you. How do we understand that today? Well, if there's a progressive agenda, not everything progressive is evil. If there's a progressive agenda that's very promising, oh, we'll all live better if you live my way. We have to discern and test and compare with the scriptures what we're hearing, what we're asked to do. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just tolerate everyone? And then you read the fine print that Christians won't be tolerated. We need to be careful whom we listen to. And be willing to hear the painful pronouncement of our Lord. I will have you here yet longer. As the Lord says, he's very explicit, not going to be two years, it's going to be 70 years. So stop listening to these goofs that have it wrong. The fanciful imaginations of some give rise to false hopes and false expectations. 
If you listen to those people and have those false hopes, hopefully you'll be careful and step back from them. But on the other side, we don't want you to have an embrace of reality to the point that you despair. You see, there are two errors people make as they look to the future, as they look to what's next. They can get overly excited, overly optimistic, and unrealistic. Some people, knowing how bad things are, sometimes get depressed. There are two extremes. And the Lord doesn't want us to be in either extreme. Don't listen to these false guys. But he goes on to say, look, it's only going to be 70 years, and then I will visit you. And it's certain. The encouragement that we'll get to in verse 11 comes because the Lord declares very simply, this is not going on forever. I will keep my word. This period of exile will come to an end. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So do we give in to despair when we look to the future? No, we should not. We shouldn't be fearful. We shouldn't be despairing. As one commentator has said, such that despair are ignorant or forgetful of the gracious promises of God. Now, fear of the future, fear of the unknown can be pretty unsettling. It can. For some of us, our lives have changed in the last year in a very dramatic way. But God is still God. And we need not fall into despair thinking that the worst things or the downward trend defines the future. It doesn't. The Lord knows the future. W.G.T. Shedd says the ignorance and frailty of man is a strong reason why he should feel his dependence upon his maker. To feel dependence is not to despair because our Lord has a strong arm and he is able to save. Let's talk about God. Our second heading, our God knows the future. The sermon title asks, who knows the future? Hopefully you knew this was coming, right? You knew this would be the answer of the sermon. And boys and girls, if you're listening to a preacher who never answers the questions he asks, you might need to, to, to ask him in person. Who knows the future? God knows the future. That's the message of the Bible, and that's what God says here now that we've come to verse 11 of Jeremiah 29. God knows the future. He speaks first with emphasis, I know the plans for you. It's first in the sentence in the Hebrew for emphasis. He's doubling down. He's getting everyone's attention. Don't listen to those guys. Listen to me because I know. And I'm putting it in writing. There's no vagueness here. The prophet Isaiah gave voice to the very boast of God in this regard. You should recognize this passage when you hear it. Isaiah 46 contains these words. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. That's what God says. 
He's not guessing. He's not waiting to see what you will decide. He knows the future and he ordains it and he will accomplish it. This is the very essence of who God is. God is not your butler to help you do what you want to do. God is not simply a fireman or an EMT when you need him. The maker of heaven and earth sits on the throne of the universe. Doing all things to advance his glory throughout human history. Raising up nations and bringing them down. And his people are along for the ride. Indeed, his people who are precious in his sight. He is working to draw them closer by faith to himself. That they will be ready and fit for heaven. Our God knows the future. And it's not just one verse from Jeremiah 29. It's all throughout the scriptures. And those godly men in the past who put together our confessions of faith, whether it's the Westminster, the London Baptist, or the like, have categorized this this very truth. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, begins, God, from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. That covers everything. And there's a comma. Yet, so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. God can pull all that off, give you free will to obey or disobey, hold us to account, yet still ordain all things that come to pass. It's beyond our understanding. It's the godness of God. God has his sovereign plans. I know the plans I have for you. This word plans, in the King James, I think it says thoughts. Uh, It can be translated designs or purposes. When we think of a plan, sometimes in modern times we live in a culture that's very impulsive and they don't do much planning, and that's why they get into so much trouble. But God, the thoughtful God, has purposes and designs intricately weaving through every thread of history. And although if history was a giant tapestry, we only see it from behind, the odds and ends of the threads where they appear and disappear. But in the last day, God will turn that tapestry of history around. We will see what he has done for his glory. He has plans. The specific term, according to Old Testament scholars, Kiel and Delich says the equivalent, although I, in this context, Although I appoint so long a term for the fulfillment of the plan of redemption, although you're there for 70 years, yet fear not that I have utterly rejected you. I know what my design is in your regard. My thoughts toward you are thoughts of God, not of good, not of evil. Although now I inflict lengthened sufferings on you, yet this chastisement but serves to bring about your welfare in the future. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, peace, shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
That's God's word. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Our God knows the future. And I would point out further, God has spoken. He knows what's ahead. He doesn't tell us everything. In fact, we could say he doesn't tell us much, but he tells us what's essential. God has spoken. Chapter 29 is a letter from God to those in exile, to those in a secular world, to those living in Babylon. We should read it and we will profit from it. God has spoken. He's given us all of his word. Even as the the great prophet Moses was raised up and was used of God to write the Pentateuch. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, God reminds them who he is and what he has done. And God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.3, and Jesus repeats it in Matthew 4. God has spoken because we need that word to live, to live rightly, to live healthy lives. And God has spoken and he's given his word not only through prophets of old, but in those last days through his son, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. How clear does God want to be? He doesn't just send you a post-it note or a computer chip or pages of a PDF or a binded file. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And Jesus walked among us. And he raised up disciples and, and commissioned them as apostles and said, the Holy Spirit will teach you further the things that I bring to your remembrance, the things that I have said and, and plan for the Bible to be completed, the New Testament. God has spoken. God has given his word. God sent his living word. And we have the record of all of that that we need Let me just pause and say at the beginning of this new year, shouldn't we read our Bibles every day? Maybe, I'm just speculating, maybe you've never read Jeremiah 29. You might have heard the verse or seen it somewhere on a poster. But are you familiar with what God's people went through? Why did they go into exile? Why does God bend over backwards to so graciously give them hope in their exile? And then draw comparisons and conclusions for you as a believer. Read your Bible every day. Let's cover one more point before we move on. God knows the future. He has his plans. He's spoken about them. And interestingly enough, God is still accessible. Accessible. We sometimes think about that when we see a sign that says no access. Or when we're asked for our password and we can't remember our password and we've got to jump through hoops and count the bridges and the crosswalks to get where we want to go. There's no access sometimes. The website is down. With God, who has spoken, hear me now, there's access. There's access. What do we mean by that? Well, let's read on a little bit more in Jeremiah because that's where the thought comes from. Verses 12 and following. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. He is accessible. Does he not say it more than once for emphasis? I know the plans I have for you. And I'm telling you, verse 11 isn't about a secret that God is keeping. Okay, let's just correct that now. A lot of evangelicals might have that wrong. God has plans. I have no clue what he's going to do. Well, we'll talk about this. Verse 11 is not about divine secrets. It's about things he has spoken and made known and clear to us. And he is accessible to explain them. Call upon me. You know it's going to be 70 years, but I'm still available. I'm not going to be cross town and out of the office or unavailable. He's accessible. He was then and he is all the more so now. Jesus himself said to his disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He, he gives his spirit to indwell each and every believer. By the spirit of God, you are indwelt. That spirit is there as your counselor, your paraclete, your guide. He will correct you and chasten you as well as comfort you. God is accessible. And he invites us to pray. In that sermon I'm continually referencing, W.G.T. Shedd said, The real desire of our heart should be, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the way in which we best show our dependence upon our maker. He's accessible. He says, call upon me. Pray. Lord, I, I know... Jesus is coming back someday, but when? We can talk to him about that. We can pray for understanding. We can pray for patience. Well, thirdly this morning, let's talk about what your future holds. We've been talking about God's plans. He has plans. He knows the plans. He's told us about them. I thought it would be appropriate for me to make a very brief list about what we do know for sure is in your future. I could have easily come up with 10 things or a dozen things or 30 things that the Bible tells us will happen without fail. And you probably are wondering, oh, are the things I'm thinking about going to be on my list? I, I just, this is bare bones, the, the three that I picked to mention. But these things, I can say with biblical authority, will happen in the future. I can't tell you what day. Let's take a look. Three things, and I think they'll be helpful for us to remember. Number one... There will be tribulation for Christians in this world. There will be tribulation for Christians in this world. When your boat is rocked, it doesn't mean God has left the helm. Or God has left the ship. There will be afflictions. There will be tribulations. That's God's design. The servant is not above the master. The Lord Jesus, when he perfectly walked through this world, was still buffeted and afflicted he came to his own and his own received him not that's not a good start the religious leaders and the scribes who who were scholars in God's word received him not yet the Lord endured doing the will of his father perfectly and without sin it's possible to live uprightly in a broken world while we're under tribulation 
where do I get this tribulation? Why is it that important? Well, it's certainly the context of the exile for God's people. They were in a difficult spot and they were there because of their own sin. Some of the difficulties in this world are because we've dropped the ball. Personally or corporately, I suppose. But we also know things clearly from what Jesus said. John 16, 33, as he makes this summary statement. Jesus himself says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And Jesus uses the word W-I-L-L. Will. Have. Tribulation, But Jesus continues, take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. I like what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time. This is the apostle Paul writing. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Something horrible might happen in 2023. We don't know. Maybe it won't be as bad as what's happened in the past. Maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. But the Bible does say to Christians in this world, you will have tribulation. Whether it looms large or small, it's ahead for all of us. It's part of life in this world. That's what's in our present and our future. A second thing. A second thing. And I pick this one because of its sobering effect on me and and those with ears to hear. There will come the day of Jesus Christ. There will come a day of accountability. Or I could use the other J word. There will come a day of judgment. Where do I find a verse for this? Where do I not find a verse for this? I could lead you through a dozen or more verses where Jesus teaches in the Gospels about the day of judgment. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for... He spoke clearly of it. It was a day that would come. But it's over the horizon, so we tend to forget it. A day of accounting. That's one reason I like New Year's. It says, whatever your plans were from this year, it's over. Pass or fail, it's done. Time is linear, not cyclical. We're moving towards a destination and a goal. And there will come a day when Jesus comes and says, this is the final day. Eternity will begin shortly, but we need to have some accountability. For some businesses, the year-end cycle is brutal. Pray for those in business where they face that month-end or year-end cycle, or maybe it's a fiscal year cycle. It's very rough. But for every human being, there will be a day of accountability. The Bible tells us that clearly. Whether you're alive when Jesus returns or Jesus calls you to himself and hastens your arrival at the day of judgment, there will be a time of accountability In John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, says Jesus, for an hour is coming 
when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The Father's given the Son the ability to give out life. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus says. Draw near to Jesus. But Jesus also told us here in John 5, he says, The Father has also given me authority to execute judgment. There will be a day of decision. And it will be Jesus there. The one who went to such lengths to invite us into a relationship. And when you stand before him, he'll say one of two things. I never knew you. Depart. He'll say, well done, servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That day is coming. And it it should be a reminder that however we plan for the calendar year or plan for what's ahead years from now, put it in your mind that day of accountability is in our future. You can read more about it in Romans 2. You can read the book of Revelation. WGTS said... If any man would obtain happiness and peace from the divine government, he must conform to it. If he opposes and resists the will of God, he will, in the end, be ground to powder as it moves on its eternal, irresistible, and wise course. Knowing that God will accomplish his plans, he will hold all men to account, get with the program. That's a paraphrase of 1884, William Shedd. Conform. A third thing about our future that I think is most encouraging is this. The Lord will save his people. He will finish what he started. He who did not spare his own son for us will do all things necessary to bring you into the heavenly flock, to sit at the heavenly banquet table, to be there. If you've been born again, you will be there. God will save his people. I like the emphasis in Jeremiah 29. I will fulfill to you my promise. I've sent you there. And when you come home in the 70th year, you will see that I keep my promises and God's other promises to make a new covenant through his son, the Messiah. The Jews have seen that come to pass. We have seen it. We can say with David, as he says in the 23rd Psalm, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not because of me, because of him. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm just the sheep here, don't forget. But he'll get me home. Or my favorite verse written by my mother on every letter she sent me while I was in college. That was before emails, you know. You had to write the letters. Down in the corner, Philippians 1.6. I remember the first time I had to look it up. I don't need to look it up anymore. It's a treasure. He who began a good work in you 
will see it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, God may be working hard on you. Many of us are stubborn and stiff-necked. God will work on us, but he'll have us done in time. Maybe you're sad a Christmas gift didn't arrive by December 25th. Things are out of your control, but nothing's out of God's control. He will keep his promise. He will save his people. He will have us ready to enter those pearly gates and to dwell with him. One of the most certain things we can say from the Bible. There are many things we can say about the future, but these three things help us quite a bit. In closing, let me turn some things around and give you these exhortations. Closing words. Number one, live in the present. Live in the present. We've been talking about the future, though, Pastor. Well... Yeah, we can, we can look for the Lord's return, that day of judgment, because we'll, we'll get through because of Christ. But we need to live in the present. God gave the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, that precious verse, to people in exile. To help them live in the present. Not just look to the future. Not just create a countdown. 69 years, 11 months, and 14 days. Or what, you know, the, I even loaded one onto my phone, the countdown to New Year's Eve. Great, you can watch the countdown. But that's not celebrating per se. Watching the countdown of our captivity, waiting for the return of Christ, that's not living for the glory of God by itself. We need to live in the present. Here's a really good WTGT shed quote from that sermon. Trust in God's wisdom, power, and goodness. Trust in God's wisdom, power, and goodness cheers up the mind in these hours when the immensity and complexity of the universe is weighing upon it. Every man may say, It is true that I am being of it is true that I am a being of limited powers. The ultimate essence of everything is beyond my knowledge. I know not what will be on the morrow, but I am the creature of the great and wise God. And he graciously permits me to take hold of his strength and to ask for his wisdom. He is the father of lights and giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. By thus resting upon God, says Shed, Amidst all the ignorance and mutability of this existence, man derives to himself some of the calm wisdom and immutability of the eternal one. If we were possessed of a simple and constant trust in Jehovah, our little life would repose upon his unchangeable existence and would embosom upon it. If you can hear those words, they say, trust, lean upon God. It doesn't matter that we're little and frail, but we can live in the moment because of who he is. Again, those words from Shedd's Sermons to the Spiritual Man. It's a collection of sermons. It's volume, it's number seven, seven or eight on James chapter four. A fantastic sermon. 
We're not done yet. Live in the present. Secondly, live in the light of the Lord. I think this has to be an intentional step. An intentional step for us. And this is what is said explicitly in James chapter 4. I've alluded to it, but hear what James says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, says James chapter 4, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your ignorance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The key takeaway, James chapter 4, is to live in light of the Lord, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. I only got two or three letters from my grandfather in Scotland while I was a boy. Only met him twice. And when he closed his letters, he would often say, God bless you, grandson. And then he'd write, um, at some point in his closing, parentheses, D period, V period. And it stood for Latin, Deo Valente, if God wills. That was his practice of James 4. I might see you again, grandson, Deo Valente, if God wills. I hope to write to you again. If God wills. Every Christian should live in light of the Lord. We should weigh our acts, actions deo valente. Is, is God in this? Would, would God bless this? Is there something better I can and should be doing? And here comes uh, one of my favorite shed quotes. Sorry you're getting two sermons in one, but I didn't know if you'd go read it, so... This one's pretty good. He said back in 1884, how rare it is to meet a man imbued with the Old Testament spirit, saying with Moses in the onset of every undertaking, if thy presence go not with me, carry me not up hence. How few possess the spirit of the patriarchs who were bold as lions, provided that God led the way, but timid as lambs when they could not see his footsteps. Many men rely upon second causes and never fall back on the great first cause. They calculate upon a long life because they inherit a good physical constitution. They fear an early death because their frame is slender. They expect a successful issue of their plans because they are regarded by others as shrewd and far-reaching men. In each of these instances, the dependence is placed upon something this side of God. Something short of God. Boys and girls, if you didn't catch that, he says, if you're really healthy, don't think that you're going to live longer than somebody else. Or if you're really sickly, don't presume that you're not going to make it very far. What is God's will? Live in light of that. Seek that. God's will for you in certain particulars is not the same as it is for him or her in the particulars. Live in the present. Live in the light of the Lord. And finally this morning, 
live for eternity. God has prepared a place for us. We will get there. Jesus tried to prepare us. Maybe you should start the new year by going back to the Sermon on the Mount, that great essence of uh, many of the things Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. We should know that so well. At the heart of that sermon, Jesus called us to live for eternity. And his words are pretty clear. From Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Or near the end of that chapter, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and, all the, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Live for eternity. Do we have any resolve to do that? Sometimes we're just looking ahead to our next vacation or losing some more weight or doing this with our budget. Those can all be good and appropriate, but get the spotlight of eternity to shine down and in its light evaluate your plans, your steps. Live in the present. Live in the light of the Lord. Live for eternity. Doing so will bring great blessing. For the Lord has told us He has plans for us. He knows the future. He's accessible to us and he will lead the way. Give thanks. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you sent Jeremiah to write to the exiles that is a prophet to all your people about who you are and how you work. These things that are still true now for the church age and for your people today in our modern Babylon. Lord, we take hope and comfort. May we constantly remind ourselves, God knows the future. God knows our future and you are available to us. You've spoken to us. It is ours, but to believe and obey, to trust and not fret. Well, Father, help each and every one here who is in Christ to remain faithful We pray, Father, for those that are still seeking you, those that are still turning the pages of their Bible, longing to understand you and to know they are in a right relationship with you. Help them today to put their trust in Jesus. And we pray, Heavenly Father, through the things we talk about and the things we strive for, others would know our God. Others would know the gospel we believe. Make us your servants in every way, this day and tomorrow and for the next 365 days, should you give us those days. Bring glory to yourself, Father, in answering this prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.